Yes, but the good news is, the doctor is in. Yes, this is indeed fuse box number 66, medicine hat trick. And I'm your completely in control of someone else's faculties. Mark Rose welcoming you in, friends, to this, the latest in our uh, audio excursions. And uh, that over there is the Dean of Decibels himself. <laughs> Stop that. Milk, <laughs> Milk Canes, everybody. Oh, I know, I know. There was that uh, glowing orb up in the uh, sky again, warming everything up and stuff. I mean, it would be a great day to just walk in nature, take it all in, you know? Really? Nah. nah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, it is a beautiful day here today in lovely Portland, Oregon. We, um, well, as many people may know, um, we're more likely to have the, yeah, the gray sky, a little gentle misty rain kind of thing happening here more regularly than uh, the yellow orb thingy. But uh, we do, after all, live in uh, what's commonly referred to as a temperate rainforest. And uh, therefore, it's a little more on the overcast side of things out here. Which, uh, speaking uh, purely for myself, uh, I totally dig it. I thrive on that, actually. I really do. Man, you must have been a mushroom or something in your former life. Some exotic fungi? Perhaps a lichen? I don't know. Be that as it may, yes, it's uh, incredible today as we record this in the uh, very low 70s and uh, a good day to get out there and do something. Which is exactly why we're inside this studio doing this. <laughs> well, at least we have windows. Well, I have windows. You, you have... I I have a window, but it, it, it looks out into that windowless environment, which is somehow philosophical, isn't it? I don't know. But uh, windows notwithstanding, or any OS for that matter, we're about to launch a new feature here on the show that actually came uh, about as a result of a suggestion from Max, our IT guy, here at uh, Fusebox. You know, one day he walked in last week and uh, he asked if we were at all interested in in our global reach since he's been doing some uh, site analytics and uh, came across some cool stuff and, and wanted to show us. And... Naturally, we said, get the hell out of here, Max. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Well, no, actually, we said, hell yeah, let's see. And uh, we're promptly uh, floored, seriously by just where this show is being heard, who's downloading it, and where. And uh, and we're not pulling your pangolin on this at all, folks. No, no. So we, uh, we created this little shout-out feature to say thanks to those folks who are uh, honoring us by pushing play on this uh, humble plate of ear food. And frankly, any other news of note from our Fusebox family and uh, friends and colleagues and all that. So, uh, Milt, kick it off for us. Okay, so, uh, uh, first on the list here is a, really, a big and chewy 
Fuse Box thanks to our new listeners in the country of Bangladesh. Welcome aboard, amigo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Indeed, and uh, coincidentally, I was watching uh, a few months back an episode of Parts Unknown, hosted by uh, Anthony Bourdain, which is actually really a, a, a quite an interesting show if you haven't seen it. And uh, he he actually went to our featured country here, and uh, I was flabbergasted at how this place looks. It's a bustling metropolis. It's lush and green and seriously, I had no idea at all. And uh, we are absolutely delighted to be uh, sharing the air over there. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Since we're in this uh, global mode here today, I think we should also give a fuse box shout out to the country of France, not electing a racist like we did here. Uh, indeed. Congratulations to uh, Emmanuel Macron, the new president of France. And uh, he seems to be a pretty popular chap over there. He took a big risk, I understand, you know, running as, a, as an independent. But uh, unlike here, <laughs> the will of the people prevailed. So bravo. <laughs> Do something nice for two of your nine holes. TheFuseBoxShow.com Hey, another little announcement to uh, relay if you folks are on Instagram by any chance. Please uh, check out the new Fusebox Show feed there. We're putting up clips several times a week and uh, all sorts of uh, strange things of mutated variety including the now nearly famous Fusebox flashback, which features a little tease from shows gone by to uh, amuse you and perhaps inspire you to revisit those golden days of yesteryear when the uh, show first plooped out of the primordial internet ooze and into your unsuspecting ears. We can be found at the Fusebox show on that Instagram thingy. You know, it is kind of fun to prance down memory lane like that every once in a while. No? Yeah, well, those early shows caused me to hide under the desk in most cases. Yeah, I wasn't really sure what the hell I had gotten into here, to be honest, or uh, how far into it I was. Oh, no, 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 you were fine. You did great. I think we all have a tendency to be a little extra critical of our maiden voyages in uh, in really anything we do, you know? Yeah, 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 you're right. It was actually uh, easy for me to feel comfortable here because uh, you clearly didn't know what the hell you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I love a mystery. You know that. And uh, this show is an endless mystery to me. So, oh, 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 wait, wait. <laughs> Speaking of mysteries, because actually this, uh, you know, we don't know where this is going to go, so here we go. I got to tell you about this keyboard incident. Wait, is that the uh, Akai MPK-88 thing? Yeah, yeah, that's on the... Yeah, well, I kind of wondered what happened to Well, well, let me me tell you, because, friends, (laughs) have you ever noticed 
this odd phenomenon that happens. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that there. But there is an odd, almost um, fractal-like thing that happens when you get irritated or just plain pissed off at some little inanimate thing, right? For instance, I was uh, setting up for an interview segment last weekend. Well, actually, one you're going to be hearing in a bit with uh, my friend Sam A. Maori. So for, for these things, I like to keep the, the guests as comfortable as possible. So we, we usually just mic them with uh, wireless mics and keep the booms and the microphone cables and all that stuff out of the sight lines. So I'm setting up this mic and, you know, just testing things out, make sure everything is working. And all of a sudden, its audio starts crackling and going in and out, kind of like what you're hearing right now in this particular rather verite example. I'm thinking, well, it's got to be in the patch panel because the mic signal is constant, not, not fluctuating at all on the little meter thingy there. So it's not the mic transceiver. So I, I go over to the patch panel and attempt to reach through the front space on the rack to check the connections. But it's just a little too sharp. You know, the angle's just a little too sharp. And in the process, I lose a little knuckle skin in that attempt. You know, so you got the bleeding knuckles. So then I think maybe what I should do is just, you know, reach around the back. But the rack is, is, a, is a little awkward to turn. It's kind of heavy. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this scratch of irritation because I can't hold the mic jiggle cables and rotate the rack at the same time. So so I put the mic down and attempt to step over the pit viper's nest of cables behind the rack, at which point I realize there's not enough light in there to see anything, as the light is like pointing the wrong way for this. So now I need to step a little further into the baby snake-filled mass and redirect the lamp. So it's beginning to feel like the Marquis de Sade version of Twister back there. And as I get the lamp redirected and take a step back, I hear a... Yeah. And come to find that I have inadvertently snapped a USB cable out of the back of the Akai keyboard. Sideways. So it pulled the whole cable and plug assembly right out of it and right off the circuit board, neat and clean. <laughs> so that means now I have to run this case. Uh, hey, man, I'm sorry to interrupt your uh, devastating audio flow there, but uh, we have a visitor. What? Who? Three, two, one. Oh, for crying out loud. <sighs> what now? Oh, oh, hey guys! Uh, yeah, look, I'm in the middle of a show here. Uh, it's important. It's important. Here, come here. Right. <sighs> up here. Uh, it's important, huh? Okay. Okay. Well, what's going on? We're all in danger. What the? F Eco and Milo say we're all in danger. You mean because of the uh, 
chili onion broccoli burrito I had for breakfast? Yeah, you know, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. <laughs> oh, okay, 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 okay. Okay, I'll read it. So what's it say? Well, let's see. It says... It says, um... Well, it says cock lips coming. Cock lips? My ex-wife is coming? <laughs> well played, Mr. Keynes. Well played. Well played indeed. <laughs> oh, I saw what you did there, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, cocklips coming? Cocklips. Look, guys, I don't know what this means. Who is cocklips? Well, it could mean Donald Trump. Donald Trump? Well, that's true, actually. I mean, uh, have you ever taken a good look at his cake hole, man? Oh, no, no, I know exactly what you mean. His, his mouth sort of looks like... Exactly. Or it also looks like a puckered-up anus, man. <laughs> yes, it does look like that. Tiny mouth, tiny hands. Tiny brain. <laughs> hey! Oh. Whoa! Hey, hey, guys! Hey! Come back! Hey, we're sorry! We're Really, we're not laughing at you. Guys, I don't know what your note means. Who's, who's cock lips and, and why are we in danger? Oh, jeez. Uh, I still say it's my ex-wife, bro. Uh, did you think the JPSs seemed uh, especially agitated? Man, for all her batshit crazy ideas, that woman could suck the chrome off of a tailpipe. I'm very happy for you. But I'm pretty sure that's not what they meant. Cocklips coming. What the hell? Anyway... We have a show to finish, so, uh... I still say, Cocklips is old Adolf Trump, man. That bigoted sack of rotted meat looks like he's sucking lemons through a Coke bottle, so he could easily be Cocklips. I have no idea. Anyway, I'm sure we'll find out one way or the other. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. Right up, boy, Jimmy! That's the way to turn, too! All right, boys, go hit the showers. I'll be there in a minute. Oh, hello. I'm Coach Pop McGraw. Sometimes I gotta give my boys a pep talk to get the best out of them on the old ball diamond. And now, I'm here to give you a pep talk to get the best out of you, too. Baseball, well, it's been my whole life. And nothing pleases me more than helping young boys like you grow into good young men. And baseball, our national pastime, is how I do it. My boys learn to rely on each other, especially when the chips are down and we need to score that runner from second base, or strike a batter out with the bases loaded, or or maybe even sock a homer in the bottom of the ninth to win the old ball game. Fusebox understands teamwork. They're winners. Why, they know that being a member of the team means helping your teammates to win the big game. And that no matter what, they're always behind you 100%. We all want to be winners in the game of life, boys. 
and purchasing Fusebox merchandise shows that you're not only a winner, but a good teammate as well. Scientists have proven that Fusebox merchandise not only makes you run higher and jump faster, but it also increases self-confidence and improves your posture. Boys, I have it on good authority that President Eisenhower himself enjoys Fusebox merchandise. So be a winner, boys. Go to thefuseboxshow.com and buy Fusebox merchandise right now. It's a home run every time. Visit thefuseboxshow.com today. That's thefuseboxshow.com. Well, you did say you loved mysteries. I did. I did indeed. Well, anyway, let's uh, move along, shall we? So, uh, friends, if you've been uh, following along in your Fusebox playbook, you'll know that uh, I've produced and been fortunate enough to act in a bunch of radio theater productions over the years. And once I moved out to uh, the Portland area here, I was introduced to my very talented and generous friend here, Sam A. Mowry, who, uh, as you will discover in this here interview, is a uh, longtime actor, voiceover artist, and a uh, passionate proponent of uh, audio theater, radio theater, whatever you want to call it, in all forms, but uh, particularly live. Here's a little chat we had for... The Fusebox Interview. What was the motivation to do live radio theater as opposed to just, you know, sit in a little room like mine and mm-hmm. crank it out all day long? Well, actually, um, you should know because you were there with us. I, yes. Uh, we went <laughs> and we uh, went to the library to meet a young man who had a, a vision of doing radio drama and he wanted us all to be sitting at home in front of our computers and record individual lines and email them to him and he would cut them together and put in sound effects and music cues and would make radio drama. Mm -hmm. And you, me, and like seven other people who I did not know were interested in radio drama were all sitting there going like, wow, that's a really bad idea. (laughs) That doesn't sound like fun at all. (laughs) But hey, look, you're here, you're here. And I had asked some questions, and you had asked some questions, and we didn't know each other yet. Mm -hmm. You came up and said, hi, my name's Mark, and this is Rob, and we've been doing this for a while, too, and that's great. And maybe sometime we can work together on something. And we all said, oh, that would be great. And then we went off and created WRW. For me, it was when the idea was presented to do radio drama. I'd always loved radio drama since I was five years old. My dad had records of The Shadow and and, uh, The Green Hornet and things like that, so I really loved the form but didn't really have any idea that it was was possible and then when i came to portland and i became an actor and i was doing stage work and i loved that but as i was getting older and wanted to produce things on my own i was finding that the cost and time for putting on stage plays and basically spending a lot of time to raise money to give to a landlord while everyone doing it got nothing was uh soul crushing for me when the radio thing came up and we started working together and you really turned me on to the whole thing in terms of where the technology had come because I worked at uh, KBU when I first came to town in 1979, yeah. which is a public radio yes. station out here, here in Portland. One of the, uh, one of the early ones, very early. Um, and one of the few remaining of the kind of Pacifica, yeah. uh, West coast, uh, community radio stations. 
we were using reel-to-reel tape and carts. Kathleen Dunn was next door when I was engineering for the early morning shows on <laughs> Monday morning after I'd been on the radio all night, Sunday night. And she did this thing called Red Rider, which was basically audiobooks back then, though there was no such thing. Right. And uh, she had an amazing voice and just a wonderful storyteller. And I would just sit there and I could hear her through the glass. And I just, I missed many a station break. Uh, trying to listen to Kevin through the class. The reason why I'm not an engineer. Um, but it, I'd, I'd never considered that I could ever have a radio station and do this. And your history with all you had done and all the stations you'd worked for and your recording career. And I was at the point in my life doing voiceover work where I had started recording things on my own and mm-hmm. started putting things together and uh, had been playing around, but not with a lot of vision. Like in those early days, where where would you source materials from? What would you use as... Uh... Well, when we started, I felt really insistent on doing uh, old-time radio, the classic mm-hmm. uh, stuff, and... the shadow and, uh, and suspense and, uh, and stories like that, because they had it right. This, these are the people who had it down. They did it for a living. They did it every week. Uh, they were the best people in the industry and they wanted to do better all the time. It was an art form. Yeah. Then it was a commercial art form that they worked at. It was like movies and you had actors and directors who were the greatest actors and directors. There were Hollywood actors worked on radio all the time. Yeah. And so we wanted to start out with what would work for time. That was always a concern for me was mm-hmm. how, how are these things going to time out? Uh, and the first thing we did was uh, uh, war of the worlds. We did it without microphones, um, <laughs> and we did live foley. And we had fake microphones. It was a midnight show on on Halloween Eve. It was like a Friday night. We come in and check the uh, phone message. There were 175 reservations. The place held 100. We didn't know what we were going to do. <laughs> 50 people didn't show up. Thank God, because we had 125 people, and it was standing room only. Oh my God. I look back on it, it was just incredibly quaint, you know, little toy microphones and nothing's connected and where the mortar effect was done with a big plastic cooler and a carpet tube from a roll of carpet, the big heavy thing. Amy would slam the uh, chest closed and Marty would swing this 10 foot cardboard tube in this giant arc and hit that cooler and it would leap five feet in the air and Amy would catch it and put it down and open it up and then slap it closed and Marty hit Whack it again. It again. And amazing. Well, and that's the, you know, that's the, the great thing about that is that it's not only uh, adding the sound that, you know, that's essential for the thing, but it's also a visual spectacle. Yes. <laughs> so the audience can just put those two things together because, you know, hey, that's a, a lot of the stuff that went on during those days is, is, yeah. uh, is like that, you know. Well, and it's one of the things that we wanted to bring to the live experience. It's not just people standing up there Reading. talking into microphones. Right. Um, is that there is some component that does treat the eye. Um, and, you know, I came at it from theater, so that was my background, and I think that's why we went with the live right. radio. Because we did do some things in studio, and uh, we did uh, some shadows and stuff for um, stage and studio, 10.30, Tuesday morning, get 10 actors to come with you to a <laughs> small community radio station <laughs> yes. and do live radio. Uh, go into the room where we're supposed to be and we're all set up. 
and I'm talking to my microphone, check, okay, we've got four other microphones, and two of them don't work. <laughs> and suddenly you're kind of like, Welcome to and then it's radio. like, oh, the headphones don't work, so we can't hear what they're telling us from the... <laughs> It was like, oh my God, get out there, support your community radio stations. What's it like to put a typical show together? Doesn't matter how long it is, because your mm-hmm. shows are usually a little over an hour, an hour, or something like that, right? Uh, what's it take to put something like that oh, together? God. Well, after the lobotomy, it's all pretty yeah. much downhill yeah, exactly. from there. The uh, shock treatment helps, but yeah. uh, no, I mean it, it. It's actually kind of interesting how much it can vary. From there are times that I will sit down with Cindy or you or. Sam Gregory and start talking about an idea for a show and we'll either find a script or Cindy McGeehan here or Sam Gregory will write one and we'll have readings of those scripts. It's one of the things that I kind of insist on is even though I have really good writers that have deigned to work for us, one of the things that we give them that I think they all really like is readings of the scripts. We don't expect them to write a finished script the first time out and a lot of other audio groups, that's what they do. It's kind of like the person who runs it, writes the script, directs it, comes in. They all read the script one time, and then they record it. And nobody ever gets to say, huh, the second act of this really drags. Uh, because it's the boss who wrote it. So right. so anyway, so there's the creation of the script and all of that. And then um, I have to look ahead and see who's available when we find out how many characters are in the script. And how many we can double. And luckily, if you have a really good writer, it's one of the nice things about working with people in real life, is you can say, okay, I want a cast of five. And that means you can have ten people in the show. These two people can't double, and all the other ones have to be everyone else. So break up your scenes accordingly. Yes, right. And and they get it. But it takes a little time. Yeah. It takes a little practice to get to the point where you can do that right and you don't end up. That's always the first read. There's a moment where... Somebody, some three people are in a scene talking and you're suddenly like, oh, they're all the same person. <laughs> yeah, got to watch that choreography there. Hey, maybe we're going to make you somebody else. Yeah, um, that happens. That's what there's rehearsals. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a good thing. So, um, and then I have to get together with the sound designer, which when I'm lucky is you <laughs> and say, I'd like this to be really squishy. Yeah, well, squishy like, my forte. Yeah. I uh, really like squishy. And well, and you've you've been doing radio drama for forty years, uh, th- years? thirty-seven years. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the the yeah the over folks, thirty-five years. The people who listen to this program have heard me belly ache a lot about absence of of this kind of thing, really, in our yeah. in our society here for quite a while. Well, and the nice thing about that is you've been doing it so long that we can talk about general moments through a piece, mm-hmm. or here's what this moment wants to be, or I'm looking for this to be dark, or I thought it would be fun if this was kind of a contra thing where it's a really scary moment and we have some light music going or something. You know, whatever contra. little idea I have and just hand right. it to you and walk away. Yeah. There are other sound designers that some of them won't take any notes from me at all, and mm-hmm. others won't <laughs> put down one cue without giving me four options yeah. on each sure, one. Sure, absolutely. Totally you know? get it, yeah. And the the thing you guys are involved in right now, yes. which is uh, City of Weird. City of Weird. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, City of Weird is a uh, novel and a, an anthology. What had happened was I had volunteered to be a reader at Cindy Brown's uh, book release for one of her theater murder mystery things. I did it, and we got to introduce ourselves to the audience. And I told them I did live radio theater with the Lamont Radio Workshop, and I get. An email from Cindy saying, a friend of hers who's a publisher 
heard that we did radio theater and wanted to talk with us about something. I'm like, okay, I'm willing to talk to anybody. And so, yeah, sure, have her email me. And she did. She said she had this anthology that was coming out, and one of the scripts was based on the radio noir detective series. And would we be interested in doing it? And I was kind of like, you know, for what? Um, you know, <laughs> might be if it's a good story. We yeah. like to, you know, I'm just kind of like, we don't have a slot for film noir. I don't know what I, you know, would do with that, but let's get together and talk to her because mm-hmm. I don't know and love to see the thing and get the thing and see it. And it's, it's a great story. It's very fun. It's going to need a little work to make it actual radio as opposed to a short story about a radio serial. I talked to Cindy. I said, you want to come with me? Cause I'm going to go meet this woman about this. And she's like, oh, sure. She's a publisher. Who is she? And I said, Laura Stanfield from uh, I don't know, Evergreen Forest, for- Avenue. Forest Avenue Press. I'm like, yeah. I said, I've submitted there. Like, one of my favorite rejections was from them. It's like they really liked the story, but it didn't fit in what they were doing. I felt like a million bucks after. And I was uh. like, well, that's who we're going to go eat. And so we went and met and um, uh, started talking about it. And. And Cindy had been whirling around in her brain. She was kind of like, as she had heard more about the book, and we have a standing UFO engagement every year. So we're always looking for science fiction. That's a festival in McMinnville. Yes, yes. But anyway, so we started talking. We were having a great time. And Cindy suggested that we might look at other stories from the book and see if they would fit into the UFO type thing. And she said, fine. And she gave us a copy of the book. And, um, and actually sent us an e-copy so Cindy could cut and paste and start working on some things. Cindy said she had me at killer slime molds from outer space, <laughs> which was, uh, turned out to be a great story that Mark did the uh, sound design for. And anyway, so we said, yeah, uh, we'd love to do this and we'd love to do these five pieces. And is that okay? And do you want to contact the writers or should we? And, and, uh, she contacted them and then we contacted them and, they were all very excited about having their pieces done. They all, Cindy, very scrupulously would send the, her scripts to them and ask for any feedback and, you know, uh, being very gracious. And they were just always like, oh, I love it. You did great work. Oh, this is fabulous. And they just all, <laughs> all loved it. I want radio drama to stand on its own, to not just be that it's radio drama or audio drama or something that you listen to or odd that it's live. It's, I want it to be the kind of show that just moves people, touches them and shares what we're feeling and thinking with some other people. That's what I want to do. And I want to do it better and more and deeper and funnier and scarier. And I think with audio, it's, it's the potential is unlimited. So I want to mention here again, for those of you uh, who are actually able to attend the live event, uh, it's free and it's in lovely McMinnville, Oregon on the 20th of May, that's a Saturday, for the annual UFO festival sponsored by uh, the good folks at McMinnimans. If you can't make the event, there will be a recording of this performance among countless other performances by the Willamette Radio Workshop available at their website, radiowork.com and also if you're uh, interested in the book that inspired this latest show it's uh, entitled City of Weird 
published by Forest Avenue Press, and uh, links to all uh, the aforementioned will, of course, be in the show notes. And with that, we're going to call it a show as we drink our medicine and wobble our way out of here. Thanks are in full psychotropic effect for uh, Jody Lorimer and Jeff Pollard, with special thanks to uh, Sam A. Mowry for allowing us to ply him with the notorious substances so he would say nice things about us. Thanks, too, to the flying fader fingers of Milt Keynes for technical assistance. Pleasure as always, And above all, thanks to you, friends, for pushing play on this edition of Fusebox. Uh, wherever on this globe you may be. Also, please uh, subscribe to this fine program on iTunes or, again, wherever you may have found us. We greatly appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, check out the spanking new Instagram feed at The Fusebox Show for more healthy and totally unprocessed ear food. So I have been your audio haberdasher host, Mark Rose, saying... Until our next cartoon.